the nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Thank you all so very much for joining us today. Um, I'm really excited about this show. It's a, it's something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I wanted to start out by sharing a quote that I've actually shared on the show before, but I think it bears repeating, especially here. Uh, it's from the creator of the electronic fetal monitor. And he said, there is nothing humans cannot do as long as no one cares who gets the credit. I believe that was Dr. Alan Bradfield. I was trying to uh, check back on that and couldn't find it. The USA is currently weighed down by the most expensive and cumbersome healthcare system in the world. Other countries around the world are way ahead of us in how healthcare operates, some more efficiently and fairly than others. Sooner or later, this country and especially healthcare providers will have to deal with the mess that healthcare is in at present. The title of today's show is Healthcare Crisis, What Can Nurses Do? I believe that nurses need to be a vital part of that discussion. My guest for today is Dr. John Silver, a nurse who has uh, thought a lot about this subject and would love to get the dialogue going. So who knows more about what does and doesn't work in healthcare than nurses? Who is more concerned about the safety and protection of our patients? Have you been thinking about what would be best for patients first, then healthcare providers, including complementary and alternative medicine, then the payers, and all of the other stakeholders in this country's healthcare? Here is your chance to bat around some thoughts, concerns, and ideas. Thank you for joining us, and especially thank you, John, uh, for joining us, too. Uh, believe me, Leanne, it is my extreme pleasure. Well, great. And um, Dr. Silver, can you share a little bit about how you got attracted to nursing and then uh, how you you came to be so passionate about this particular topic? Sure. I, uh, back in the 70s, uh, like everybody else, I'm uh, looking around for what interests me, and I found out I really liked helping people. Mm-hmm. And so I started in healthcare at the very bottom, uh, literally as a security guard and an orderly and became a respiratory therapist, 1984 became a registered nurse, mm-hmm. um, worked basically agency, critical care, and a couple of states. And then I uh, came back in the 90s after uh, two or three years off and decided that this was going to be my profession. So I went back and got my bachelor's and master's. Wow. Yeah, actually, uh, and interesting. And and I think, actually, you know, some people say, oh, that's a lot of waste of time to, to do all those things along the way. But I don't agree at all. I think those are really the things that create a tremendous foundation, especially when you're if you're interested in working in uh, an egalitarian kind of workplace. Uh, having done those roles along the way, you know just how hard they are and um, how much you want to be able to make it uh, a collegial thing. So um, 
I, I guess I'm I'm curious. Let's let's just kind of talk about how has healthcare and especially the nursing profession come to this point of crisis? Do you think in the United States? Uh, well, it's a it's a, a timeline kind of thing. Um, again, having started in the seventies, uh, we had the uh, code of ethics come out from nursing in the seventies, and it was a very activist kind of uh, format and. While nursing was a little late getting into the women's movement, it, it did start embracing um, cultural change um, as, you know, reflecting the nurses. Um, and then in the 80s and 90s, I, I don't know if it was the conservatism of nursing leadership or just uh, the buying into um, the kind of the corporate takeover. Uh, nursing just kind of never got the public presencing it needed to really bring our research and discussions to the forefront. And we decided, mm-hmm. I guess, to uh, just become supporters of uh, what other people were doing in health policy. Mm-hmm. So we got, you know, like we really got behind the 90s with the Clinton reforms, and then that went nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, nursing had been an original supporter of HMOs. And, and I'm not talking about nurses, per se. I'm talking about the organizations of nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there has been a, uh, a noted conservative movement on the part of nursing leaders uh, that have even been called out by other uh, other academics. Say more about that. Um, well, I, I think in the 90s we saw a period of time where we were uh, buying into nurses coming off the bedside, uh, again, administratively, organizationally, not at the provider level. Um, they actually tried to get rid of us at the bedside in several areas. Uh, New York City kind of beat that effort back. And probably the flagship of uh, resistance to that were the California nurses. And by that, you mean the liberal nurses or the nurses that were more partic- uh, political? That they didn't want you at the bedside? Yeah, no, no, no. I I think like like myself, I think um, nursing groups uh, around the country, Massachusetts, New York, California primarily, um, started seeing that the the necessary endpoint was for nurses to get engaged in the political process if they wanted Mm -hmm. to see change affected. Right. So then are you thinking through unions that was happening or was that happening on another level also? Well, it was uh, California, it would have been the unions. Uh, it did happen in union states primarily, uh, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. New York, and, and California. Um, and nurses, I think, or the unions, I think, just kind of served as a, uh, a coagulation point for enough nurses to get involved that they would actually have the funding within these associations to go out and exert public influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the problems we have is most of our state associations are uh, fairly weak in terms of numbers, which means they're weak in terms of revenue. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, let's let's kind of go back again to how the healthcare system is set up. Um, would you like to talk about that a little bit? How you're looking at that? What's working? What's well, not working? As I as I got into my master's, I started realizing, you know, because I was working, of course, and I'm hearing the same 
complaints from nurses over and over again now. This is the third decade I'm hearing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started thinking of why, why, why is this organization of professional nurses, and we are the most, you know, numerous providers in healthcare, mm-hmm. why are we so politically impotent? I, I couldn't understand that. So my master's focused on uh, political effectiveness, and I did two internships in Washington, and I worked with a rep down here in Florida. Uh, and what I learned was kind of amazing, I thought. Um, both in terms of the uh, multiple messages politicians were getting from uh, various nursing groups, uh, and also kind of the lack of any nursing, you know, major consulting or lobbying or uh, any kind of effort to, you know, affect the change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started looking at why. Why, why did that happen? Uh, which led me back to organizational studies, and then when I went into my doctorate, um, I really zoomed in on that specific issue of how do groups become politically effective and why wasn't nursing able to, you know, uh, to come up there. Say a little bit. I know that um, from your doctorate, you probably got a telephone book size uh, uh, information, but just say kind of a little bit more about what you found, why, why nurses were not as effective. Sure. So uh, my dissertation, what I looked at was um, I wanted to study a nursing group that was both increasing drastically in numbers. That was one of the criteria. It had to be increasing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it had to have had some kind of legislative success. Uh, So that's kind of when I found the California Nurses Association and what they'd been uh, doing out there. Uh, So I wrote the dissertation on their history uh, starting prior to, you know, when they were just part of ANA and then their takeover of the California Nurses Association um, and then their evolution as they moved through the National Nurse Organizing Committee to go uh, essentially uh, all 50 states and foreign, foreign areas as well. Mm-hmm. And then I took a model of political effectiveness, which there really weren't any. This was actually a model of organizational effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And I looked and saw whether what they did in California matched up with uh, this model in some way. And it did. It showed a pathway forward for um, nursing groups to become politically engaged and politically effective. Uh, so I talked to a variety of uh, nurse practitioner groups at the time who were interested in this uh, about how they got prescriptive authority. So I actually went to Michigan, I went to uh, several groups in Florida, and started presenting at national and international conferences, Um, and the feedback was always very, you know, very good. I mean, most of the nurses in the audience, the practitioners, were uh, very engaged. They were very interested in doing this, Uh, not so much at the leadership sessions. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And what, uh, because, you what know, kind of pushback did they give? You have to go out and engage. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to do that. They wanted to keep it more neutral. Um, yeah, you know, to kind of support the uh, the company message that um, um, that the existing structures were doing what they had to do, and uh, it was kind of nurses in the fault for not belonging to their organizations. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I kind of turned that around a little bit and said, well, you know, if an organization does what its membership wants it to do, right. uh, then more members are going to want to be engaged. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is a little bit of difference, and you probably did find this too, between um, nurses, to my experience, um, seem to be more focused on helping and so not um, necessarily wanting to be um, in the fray, I guess. Uh, um, I always, you know, in every area that I went to, it seemed like there were some that were more politically involved. And I, you know, when I first started, was pretty naive uh, about politics and, um, you know, didn't, you know, I was just trying to learn nursing. That was all I wanted to do. And I could see there were a lot of other people like that around me. So uh, do you see that changing now where more and more nurses are realizing that we have to be heard? Yeah, I mean, initially when I started, there was, of course, we had this kind of super heavy superstructure of uh, almost a religious calling to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. And I, I think while we've we've protected that somewhat, I, I think we're starting to realize that that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the uh, talks I gave was moving from nurse to nursing, mm-hmm. uh, which describe this journey of, you know, is it enough that I just take care of my patients? Because as a profession, we are obligated as well to consider our communities, our states, the nation, uh, even global health to some degree. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what we're taught in the schools or in the schools is how to take care of this patient. Yeah. And I, it, and it I is... think that's what we're rewarded for in practice, too. Right. Exactly. So um, I'd like to get to your topic specifically um, about what you're, you are, um, I think, you know, the whole thing about uh, how healthcare is so expensive here and not necessarily effective. There's, I know a lot of people would like to argue that point, but usually those are people who are not using anything factually based, just their own perception. So do you want to share a little bit of that? Sure. Um when I started looking at this um, task, I kind of took on about um, trying to solve the healthcare crisis. I mean, it's pretty audacious to think any one person could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the difference in the approach I had was that I was willing to put everything on the table as a possible solution, mm-hmm. including ripping down the whole system and starting over again. Um, I think mm-hmm. too many uh, politicos and people go into these discussions with a lot of things that they will not even consider. Mm-hmm. So as I started looking at the, the issues, I, you know, obviously we have the most expensive health care. Um, it's a, a big drain on small business in this country, and it's a, uh, all of us know, I think, that, you know, somewhere around 50% of all the bankruptcies are from health care. Uh, we see a lot of uh, anecdotal information, people coming on that, you know, my cancer drug is $14,000. How can I possibly afford this? Um, we know that uh, health outcomes are more determined by zip code than they are by um, the healthcare system itself. Uh, that we have tremendous regional and economic disparities in healthcare. We, the outcomes we have are, are not very good. Uh, we're somewhere down in the 30s. Uh, but, you know, globally, um, 
But that's largely because we have very concentrated pockets of uh, good healthcare system access, and then a lot of country that has very sporadic or even no healthcare access. Mm-hmm. So when you start looking at you know the political arguments, then it's, it's kind of hard to understand why we've only got these two two models that are being presented to the public of you know socialism, which is um, disparaging to a lot of people. Uh, and nothing, and I, I just don't see that as as true. We've we've solved problems this big in our country before, mm-hmm. um, and we can certainly do it again. Yeah, it seems like everybody seems to be waiting for somebody to take a lead and give us some direction, so that you know you're not, you know, as individual organizations are trying to build maybe in this direction. Um, they don't want to feel like they built something and then suddenly the country has gone in a completely different direction and they start over again. Yeah, and it's not a, it's not a matter to me so much of, you know, tearing everything down and starting from scratch. That would be kind of unrealistic. Um, but there are models that we've used in our country before to address uh, major issues that kind of split the uh, the the right versus the privilege um, debate, and I think healthcare is is sort of locked into that um, dichotomy now. Is you know we have a large group of people in the country that think that healthcare is a right. Obviously, a lot of people around the world that think healthcare mm-hmm. is a right. Um, we still tend to treat it as a commodity. Um, Ironically, until you you know you're near death, in which case it becomes a right all of a sudden. Right. Okay. It becomes very ER personal. You're coding. You're you're going to be treated with whatever you need. But if you come in with a chronic condition, mm-hmm. uh, you're not so lucky. And that is part of the frustration for a lot of people with chronic conditions, myself included, um, is that there's sort of a feeling if we can't. Um, solve your problem in you know a month, uh, two at the most. Um, then we're just going to kind of throw our hands in the air and say, you know, you got to look elsewhere. Um, yeah, it's a square peg in a round hole argument. Um, the healthcare mm-hmm. system we have is uh, has actually been chaotically assembled since the forties uh, uh, to deal yeah. with the, you know acute intervention. Uh, fairly high cost uh, interventions in healthcare, and yet mm-hmm. roughly sixty sixty five percent of what we're spending money on right now is chronic disease management, usually mm-hmm. self inflicted. Yeah, unfortunately, um, yeah, not a lot of uh, incentive to take more responsible decisions. Um, I'm curious, around the world, you know, pretty much every other country has come to a more, um, uh, a right, uh, medicine as a right. Um, did they start out the way we did with insurance companies and those kinds of things, or did they just start from a completely different place? Well, a lot of countries, uh, you know, I studied uh, some of the systems in South America, Europe, and, and Japan. Um I think politically they came to the realization that healthcare is a right um, fairly long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was strictly the design process of how you ensure that um, healthcare mm-hmm. resources are being equitably distributed and uh, people have access. Um, we kind of took a different tact 
although there have been movements all along through our history since the 30s to try to, uh, I don't want to say nationalize, but uh, develop a more uh, acceptable health care system. Mm-hmm. Um, we we quickly kind of turned this into a, a profit issue. Right. And that just exploded in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that some of the reasons why um, so many firsts are coming out of the United States is because of that profit um, incentive where people knew they could come up with, like, you know, the new um, Da Vinci robot and people would pay for it because, um, uh, and, and so they could spend a lot in um, research and, and creating it, knowing that it would be purchased. And then as it worked in the United States, it would be purchased around the world. So is that in some ways that um, financial incentive, something that has moved us toward uh, maybe more technological uh, care? Well, um, I think there's a lot of people out there that put the argument out that if we change our healthcare system, we're going to lose our innovation. And we've just simply not seen that to be true. European mm-hmm. uh, physicians are still very innovative and also contribute to the uh, technology okay. we use in healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yes, I, I did want to make sure that the, the model I kind of settled on uh, protected innovation. Um, but it can't be at the expense of everything else. Mm-hmm. I want to make one point, and then I'd like to go to break, and maybe we can come back and talk then about the model you see as being something that could work or be helpful. Uh, one thought that I have is is confusing to me is it makes sense to me that if you have a healthy population, you then have people who can work, who can then pay taxes, who can then contribute in a hundred thousand million different ways. Um, that it would be uh, just common sense to me to want to do everything possible to make sure the largest number of people are healthy, so that they are not um, holding the rest of the country back. So just a thought, we can come back and you can give me your thoughts on that. So we're going to go to break here. And um, we, if you're just joining us now, we're talking about the healthcare crisis and what nurses can do about it. My guest is Dr. John Silver, who's been spending a lot of time and effort thinking about how can we make healthcare not only more equitable in the United States, but also cost-effective and um, effective uh, for patients so that we're actually affecting the best health care. We will be back in just a couple minutes. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. 
If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back. This is Leanne uh, Meyer with Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And we are talking today about healthcare crisis and what can nurses do. Uh, my guest is Dr. John Silver, and he has uh, been talking about kind of, to this point, I guess we've just been kind of talking about the problem of healthcare and the fact that nurses being such a huge um uh, population of of people working in healthcare that it seems like nurses should definitely be have a big voice in it. The other thing, the comment I was making just before we went on break, was to me it makes um, logical sense that you want a healthy population because the healthier the population, the more capable they're going to be able to work to be able to contribute back to the country and to um, their, their immediate environment. Um, they're going to be able to come up with great ideas because they're not worrying about or dealing with chronic or acute health problems. Um, that seems like that would add to any country's um, uh, positive uh, column. And uh, I just was wondering, John, what your thoughts are on that statement. Um. Well, I think it's kind of two arguments. Uh, the one is, you know, what responsibility do we have as individuals to maintain optimal health uh, throughout mm-hmm. our lifespan? Uh, you know, the rising rates of uh, the rising rates of type two diabetes in children, morbid obesity in children. Uh, we've known a lot of these messages since the '60s: get balanced nutrition, get plenty of exercise, uh, just don't sit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got a workforce that uh, an awful lot of people, that's what they do. They just sit. Mm-hmm. Um, as we get into our 20s, our exercise levels pretty much fall off to uh, being reasonably negligible. Um, our 
there's an old joke that we live in a country where the medical community knows nothing about nutrition and the food industry could care less about your health. <laughs> and all of these things are true. Yes. Um, the junk food, the, the quick food, the quick calories, mm-hmm. uh, the fat-laden shoes, the fat-laden food, the sugar-laden food, um, these things are horrible. Um, you know, high fructose corn syrup, uh, the soda we drink, all of these things have health impacts. So, right. You know, you can't mandate health. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. go in and you know, punish people who don't get out and walk every night or, or whatever they eat right. Um, so we've got this personal responsibility, and then we've got this kind of feeling that the healthcare system should be able to give us a magic bullet that solves all of our health issues. And yet none of those are really tenable. Uh, Preferably in pill form, but, which would not require any any effort on our part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we would reduce our health care costs by uh, over a third if we could just go back to 1980 obesity levels in our country. Wow. Um, so that's a huge, you know, when you're talking $3 trillion, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've got kind of both, you know, the, the Europeans tend to be much healthier because they walk a lot more. So even though mm-hmm. some countries may have more fat in their diet, uh, mm-hmm. they're more engaged physically than we are. Um, so those are all, you know, arguments for discussion, sure. Uh, sure. But I think waiting for the medical community to give us the magic bullet is is not really... Uh, Not going to happen. Tenable argument. Yeah. So talk about some of, from the, the work that you've done through your uh, master's program and then your, your PhD thesis. What were some of the things you worked out that you thought made sense and could work? Sure. Well, it, it also it had to be a solution that would work in the United States. So mm-hmm. when I looked at socialized systems or free market solutions, uh, uh, both of them kind of have their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, the socialized systems are generally tax-supported, and uh, Americans have uh, voted since the uh, 80s that they really don't want to be paying taxes. Um, services tend to be rationed a little bit under socialized system, particularly age-based um, uh, rationing of care. Uh, there's a better distribution of resources. Uh, elective procedures commonly have uh, long wait times, uh, but patients are satisfied at a high rate, and uh, again, the tax rates are higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, commodity based systems are, you know, like I said, one of the leading causes of bankruptcy. Um, there's no cost containment that we've seen, although. Uh, how healthcare systems cost things is uh, just wildly chaotic, mm-hmm. um, uh, which has led to these uh, costs, uh, you know, greatly exceeding inflation rates. Uh, there's a poor base, uh, poor distribution of resources because these systems look for where they're going to make profit, not where they're going to get outcomes. Uh, administrative costs have soared to 30% or more. Um, we have to, you know, each of these privately owned corporate systems have to pay off investors and shareholders and corporate, you know, overhead. Mm-hmm. And they also have no accountability for the communities they serve. They mm-hmm. are incapable of cooperating with each other. And they give us no direction for moving into the future. And um, when you get that combined with a political process that is just trying to destroy the changes that have been made, uh, the law of TPACA that was passed in 2010, mm-hmm. you get kind of a, um, 
a weird mix of do nothing or Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fortunately, there is there is a model um, that has worked in the past uh, in the United States uh, when we determined that a service was too vital to lead to the free market that um, um, that would allow systems to cooperate, sharing of resources, has accountability built into it. Um, you can group by. Uh, integrates and interconnects delivery systems, um, targeting community needs specifically, um, has multi-tiered financial support, um, and it also dramatically changes the administrative leadership of the system. And mm-hmm. that's the uh, public utility model. Okay. So FDR kind of likened this to the birch rod you keep in the cupboard to be taken out when used only when the child gets beyond the point where a mere scolding <laughs> does no good. Yeah. Um, I think healthcare needs a good scolding. Yeah. Um, it's failed to address the 1999 Institute of Medicine reports. Um, even internally within the corporate system, the TQM total quality management and lean efforts have fallen on deaf ears. Um, pharmaceutical companies, American Hospital Association, American still have a tremendous political influence and they've contributed almost a trillion dollars over the past three decades to make, you know, to thwart any kind of systemic reform. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing here now politically is just playing ping pong with a fifth of our economy politically. And this is just not something we can sustain. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, when you're talking about the um, public utility, so you're talking about what has been worked in the past has been like through um, uh, what kind of utilities? I'm thinking of electricity and things like that. What other public utilities are you thinking that work? Yeah, and that's actually the model I looked at when I went back and looked historically at what models have been used in the United States. Here, uh, electricity in the 20s and uh, certainly in the 20s had a lot of the same problems. It was uh, centrally owned, heavily in urban areas. Um, They did not want to spend the money to provide access for rural communities or poor neighborhoods. They pretty much charged whatever they felt like charging, and they had these layered administrative systems over the top of it. Mm -hmm. And the government at some point came in and decided that electricity was more of a right than a privilege. Hmm. Um, And so they passed the uh, Public Utility Holding Corporation Act in 1935 uh, to sort of redesign the system. Public utilities are, you can invest in them. Um, They don't kill innovation. Um, So we're, we're kind of protecting on that front. Uh, but there are some dramatic changes to how the system would operate. It, first of all, it would actually be a system instead mm-hmm. of just kind of a, a chaotic assemblage of corporations out there trying to, uh, you know, compete with each other for uh, rich suburban neighborhoods. Right. Actually, I have not personal experience, but my mother has told me a lot about being on a farm in central Minnesota when um, power started to come out, you know, to the the farmers. And right now it's kind of a similar sort of problem with um, the technology, uh, where, again, you've got people who are 
fine with laying cable and all kinds of things in the urban areas, but too expensive to take it out to the um, rural area where there's just one house here and there uh, that's going to be using right. it. And, and, you know, nobody's, and, you know, at least I'm not proposing we go out and build trauma hospitals every five miles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think between the combination of having uh, targeted clinics in some of these communities, right. um, and also using the, the advantages we have now in telehealth and some of the telehealth technologies that are coming out, mm-hmm. um, I, I think we can provide that service, which is you know so far absent. And mm-hmm. and I would throw dentistry into that. And I would throw mental health into that as well. Yes. Um, yes. You know, we have huge swaths in Florida that uh, don't even have a dentist. Wow. And yet we know the connections of oral health and, and physical health. Right. Huge. Uh, we always knew them, but I think as more research has been done, it's even more incredible how much a healthy mouth can contribute to a healthy body, or even more, I suppose, the reverse. Not having a healthy mouth really determines um, all kinds of heart problems, uh, etc. along the way. Um, so um, I'm trying to think, where, where would you like to go from here? What would you like to talk about? Well, I, I think it's, it's the first thing you, you really want to deal with is, is the cost issue of health care. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a variety of things we could do to um, cut down on costs in healthcare. Uh, so, for example, uh, warning labels on food products for these things that we don't want, you know, people over consuming, whether it's, you know, 750 times the recommended daily sodium intake or high fructose corn syrup or sugar, fat content. Uh, we do this on uh, cigarettes, so I, I don't know why we shouldn't do this on foods that are hurting us. Mm-hmm. Um, but look how long it took to have that happen. Correct. Uh, yeah. I think any facility with over 15 critical care beds should be, uh, those critical care units should be managed by intensivists. Mm-hmm. Um, the studies from England showed somewhere like a 40% reduction in critical care costs when you had uh, ICU specialists uh, in the units, not mm-hmm. just doctors coming in and kind of shotgunning these medical tests. Uh, you know, the routine to every, every day you get these tests done. Um, I think nurse staffing ratios need to be implemented. Um, the reason for that is we're spending an inordinate amount of money in downstream uh, problems. Right. Uh, an article just released in the British Journal of Medicine put healthcare in the United States as the third leading cause of death. <laughs> uh, that's just not wow. acceptable. And when we add in all the superbugs and the uh, post-healthcare sepsis problems and infection rates and Mm -hmm. medical devices that are being pulled off the markets, we just, it's an inordinate amount of money. Mm -hmm. Um, And we need to develop a hospital-based medical staff that is excellent in what it does. Um, This does not mean physicians can't practice in the neighborhood as well. Uh, but when you're admitted to the hospital, you'd be admitted to a specialized team of physicians that are uh, used to the technologies of, of hospitals, kind of like the university model where you're admitted into, you know, surgical services or mm-hmm. medical services. Uh, a 
lot of the physicians I've talked to would love to be just employees and, you know, not get the calls at 3 in the morning and seven-day-a-week schedules and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think it's the facilities themselves um, that need to be structurally changed. Uh, I think we can drop administrative costs back, uh, back down to about 11%, uh, which would, you know, be a significant saving. Plus, these uh, public utility systems would be able to group buy, and I always tell my students, if I go in and buy a BMW at a dealer, how much am I going to pay? It's retail. If I go in and tell them I want 20, uh, I'm not going to be paying retail for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should open up uh, Medicare to be able to negotiate drug prices. I think that would be a significant uh, savings. And I think we need to nationalize medical and nursing licenses. Um, okay. So you could go anywhere in the country? Correct. You could go anywhere in the country and it would be similar requirements rather than have yeah. each state decide? Correct. And then we'd also be able to do a better job, I think, of tracking uh, those practitioners that are not, right. you know, uh, or that are a risk. Yeah, we actually, um, a few months ago, I had somebody on that was uh, investigating uh, kind of the murder curtain, the um, what's behind the curtain, the, um, and, and that was, I knew that those things were happening, but it was sort of way in the back of my mind, and so bringing that to the fore, now I've, it seems like I'm much more aware of the stories that talk about that kind of thing, where healthcare is just fantastic for um uh, serial killers because it's so very easy uh, to do and very hard to be able to determine who might have caused that problem. But that's off the subject. I'd like to come back well, to the conversation. Well, hopefully there's not too many problems. Like that. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, um, we hear a couple of them, but... Um, yeah. So, hopefully. anyway, it kind of bothers me when I, when I hear this, this rising call for uh, Medicare for all. It, it, it's not that uh, first of all, I, I'm not quite sure what it is they're they're talking about. Um, if you're talking about single payer, then just say single payer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're because you know, I mean, what part of Medicare are we talking about? Are we getting rid of the PPACA? Um, are we just talking about universal coverage? Are we talking Part A, Part B, Part D, all of them mm-hmm. as they are? Uh, because actually the PPACA has more benefits associated with it than Medicare. Um, are John, there implied reforms if we do John, Medicare before we all? get into the whole Medicare thing, and I would like to get to that, um, I'd like to take a quick break here, uh, and then we'll come back and finish up with that concept. So um, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing, and I'm Leanne Meyer. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the healthcare crisis and what can nurses do. So I'm here with Dr. John Silver, who has been putting a lot of thought to this. We will be back and address some of the issues about either single-payer or Medicare system. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. 
If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to LeanneVoiceAmerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, this is Leanne. We're back again uh, talking about healthcare crisis and what nurses can do. Dr. John Silver is with me. And we've just, uh, as we went to break, we were talking about uh, Medicare. And uh, unfortunately, we're not going to have a lot of time to um, address that. But in just a couple of minutes, could you say what, how uh, we could improve Medicare or how single payer or whatever would, would be helpful? Uh, sure. Well, I mean, the first part of uh, adopting the public utility model is we really would not need Medicaid anymore. Okay. Um, Medicare is a little more uh, controversial because we've been paying into it for, you know, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think people feel they have a vested interest. Um, Medicare and Medicaid also cover a lot more things than just giving you basic access to health care. They also you know, pay for all renal dialysis, which is ironic. It's the only kind of chronic intervention we have truly socialized. Hmm. Um, and, of course, the, a lot of the politicians, uh, particularly in the Republican Party, want to get rid of Medicare and Medicaid, period, as entitlements. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting moving forward to see you know, how that plays out politically and how the 2020 election, whether it follows the 2018 election and healthcare is a primary focus. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll see. Yeah, um, and that's that's a whole other discussion. Might have to have you come back. 
Um, Correct. So the other thing, what we started out saying is a healthcare crisis and what can nurses do. So what can nurses do? Well, I think probably the most important two things that nurses need to do is come up with, and I've been in touch with leadership in um, ANA and other groups, is we have to have a vision of what we want in healthcare. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, 50 years of research talking about going out to rural areas and delivering prenatal care and all of this, but it's not a money-making uh, proposal, mm-hmm. so right. a lot of that does not exist. The PPACA did foster the creation of some um, interdisciplinary care centers for uh, things like mental health, and, and these, are, these are tremendous models, and I think that should be incorporated. Uh, but what can nurses do? I, I think the, the model, when I, when I looked at my dissertation research, I actually ended up writing a book on it called uh, Just the Union, dot, 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 of nurses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sold a whopping, uh, I don't know, 80 copies or 200 <laughs> copies. Uh, but the book was basically a blueprint for nurses to become politically effective. Uh, in the example I studied, the uh, nurses took over their state association, and you would be, I think, shocked at how few nurses it takes to do that. Really? And Florida would be about 2,000 nurses. Hmm. And I think in a lot of states, you would find the uh, state associations are, are woefully backed. They do what you tell them to do. So okay. if you get a group of people uh, that join it, and then you tell that elected, uh, the elected people, we want to become more politically engaged, how do we take on the existing uh, politics? Uh, they will start trying to do that for you, or at least helping. Uh, it does take engagement. You, we need to reach out to politicians uh, at all levels, uh, not just you know presidents, but senators and congressmen and um, put pressure on them to to enact the reforms that we want to see enacted. And so we have models to work with. Uh, we have a process for doing it. We have examples of how it can be done. Uh, it's actually a matter of nurses saying, you know, okay, uh, I'm willing to make this commitment uh, on behalf of my patients um, to get a better health care system. And I think that's pretty much the crux of the argument. If we are not engaged as practitioners, um, then we cannot expect our associations to be engaged to be doing things that we want to see accomplished. Right. It's interesting that you say, you know, nurses uh, that would decide to become more involved or speak up more uh, to protect their patients because oftentimes that is what nurses will get behind is that they, they are willing to stand up to doctors, to administration, to try and protect their patients. But we just haven't taken it beyond the hospital walls or the clinic walls uh, to go out a little bit further. And, and under my model of administrative reform, uh, I think many nurses uh, might be happy to find out that I would put nursing in charge of those systems. Ah. Um, Wouldn't that be nice? So, yes, because, uh, one, we kind of tend to like flattened hierarchies, which I, I think is important. And, and, two, we need to keep the focus of these systems on what they need to be doing, which is patient care. Mm-hmm. Also listening to those people who are at the bedside um, trying to uh, create um, uh, 
runarounds to be able to get around the the policies or procedures that are not effective and not working. And so they're constantly trying to figure out how do we make this work, um, workarounds, I guess that's what they call it. Yeah, and in and incorporating the voices of others that are also interested, pharmacists and mm-hmm. physical therapists and um, nutritionists, right. and all of these groups have a, a vested interest in wanting to improve mm-hmm. uh, public health in the United States. Uh, we have just a, a, a bare minute left, but um, do you see um, uh, alternative medicine or uh, complementary medicine being involved in this? Uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. I mean, Chinese medicine has been around for thousands of years, and uh, I think uh, dietary um, holistic health is, is a vital component uh, of us uh, kind of exerting our, our independent responsibilities toward health. Um, Great. I, so, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it can all be part of the picture. Um, we just got to be a little careful with the herbal stuff, mixing it with some of the medications. Right, and that's something we would have to be a little better educated on. We are uh, coming pretty close to the end here, and um, uh, is there any last thing you want to say? Well, I just want to encourage my fellow nurses to to come out of the cocoons and and get engaged in your community politics as citizens, Um, run for office. Uh, We can't have too many nurses in our government Um, and and start looking at their associations and organizations to see how can we be the stimulus for change that we need. Yeah. Um, Mention the name of your book uh, for those of us Uh, that are interested and would like to hear about it. Sure, uh, just the union, and then of nurses. Okay, and we are all but done here, so I just want to sign off saying this is like the very beginning of a discussion, at least from my standpoint. I'm sure there are fantastic ideas around the world, and I would love to hear from people who have some. Um, I would love to be able to come back to this discussion at some point in the future uh, with maybe a few more voices uh, involved at the same time. So let's um, uh, just keep thinking about it. And as I said, you can contact me on LinkedIn. Uh, My email is leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. So L-E-A-N-N-E, voiceamerica at gmail.com. And I think this is a good time for us to just sign off here. And thank you so much, um, Dr. Silver. I really appreciate you being on. You've been a delightful person to talk with. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. All right. Thanks so much. Maybe we can talk again sometime. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.